Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Georgia. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are tuned to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And our guest today, since she is a fellow movie lover, I have to say I was excited about her and interviewing her because her topic is is your comfort zone killing you? And when I first set this up, the only thing I could think about was Ricky Bobby uh, from Talladega Nights. And in the movie, everyone knows that they always say, if you're not first, you're last. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then the second part was, if we're speaking to Paula Black, if you're first, that doesn't mean that you're always going to be first. You could be in your comfort zone, and that is killing you. Uh, she is a consultant, and she has been working with attorneys and other practices around the globe, four continents, that is, and is a wonderful joy and delight. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Paula Black to the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thanks thanks for joining us on a wonderful Sunday morning. And uh, you, before we get started, I must say that from from a dating standpoint, when I talk to different women such, I always ask where they're from because ultimately they may have some inkling to go back home. And going over your bio, uh, it, it looks like you were in Denver, born and raised, or had some of your rearing there, and you made the decision, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of years ago to open an office there to be by your mother. I think that speaks volumes about you, and just wanted to highlight that before we even got started. Well, thank you for noticing that, because it is a major, major decision in my life that I, I, I have to say is probably the best personal decision I've ever made in my life. My mother is 85 years old, and for the past 30 years, I've been saying, yes, I'm going to get back home more often. I'm going to, you know, yes, I'm going to do that. Yeah, Mom, I'm, I'm coming. And then I got a new client, or I had something to do, and said, you know, I can't go now. I'll, you know, we'll do it another time. Well, mm-hmm. life keeps going on, and if we don't make a decision and do what we think is important, and this was really important, and it was a very hard decision to make because it was at the in 2008, 9, 10, it, the, the ramifications of the uh, economy were, were pressing. But I kept thinking, well, how can I make this work? Maybe I'll take the summer off. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right, Paula, you'll take the summer off. <laughs> and then it occurred to me, duh. Just open another office there and then work there. It was like right in front of me. Duh. <laughs> so, and it's, a, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's one of the best things I've ever done. I believe on the other side of that, you know, we have 
I guess it's a, since you're a movie person, I'm going to have a bunch of movie references in this show. So, <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> so in a lot of the, you know, coming of age movies, it's like, I can't wait to get out of this cow town or small town and go to the big city and, you know, live my life and I'm never coming back. You know, and then, you know, you have this life of your own, and it, it was just huge that there there are some movies that are kind of tragic where they had the intention, but they never did make it back home and never rekindled that relationship with their parents. So, mm-hmm. you know, just again, I think that you were fortunate, and it's great. I wanted to highlight that, especially from an intrinsic motivation standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And we're so, not getting any younger. So, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if if you were in that small town, um, you had dreams and aspirations. Let, let's go back there to, you know, where where you thought life would go, since in many cases it's not very linear, and how you got to be the world-renowned consultant that you are today. Well, my goodness, that's a great question. I think that um, as a young child, I I truly was, um, connected to movies with my mother, and I thought I wanted to be the next Edith Head, uh, who was a famous uh, uh, costume designer in the um, 60s and 70s. And I thought that's what you did. If you wanted to be in fashion design, that's what you did. And uh, I realized when I moved to Chicago that that probably wasn't going to be where I would land. <laughs> and, um, and I, I realized that what I really loved was business. And uh, I thought in the beginning is it, that I loved business related to fashion. And um, I was a, uh, a buyer of designer uh, sportswear in European collection and, and um, a big department store uh, operation. And I realized that it wasn't fashion, but it was just business in general. Uh, so I started um, asking questions all over everyone that I encountered that uh, their business fascinated me and I opened a um, marketing and, and branding company to help businesses uh, develop and grow and, and establish themselves in a, in a, in a uh, strong way. And I loved it. I, I loved the, the uh, growth I love the entrepreneurial spirit that I, I found lots of my clients uh, possessed and systems. I, I was fascinated with systems and, and then put my layer of branding and marketing and growth and, and looking for trends. And I had a handful of clients that were in the, the, um, services sector, law, law and accounting, and one day realized that I needed to find a niche for myself as a branding and marketing company and looked at that niche and said, hmm, 
I don't know if more than these four would hire me, but they sure could use me. They could use the, the, the expertise that I have. And I started focusing on law firms and lawyers, uh, accounting firms and accountants, and it really kind of segued to just the legal profession. And I have been marketing to the legal profession exclusively, spending 100% of my marketing dollars and my marketing time on the legal profession. However, the message that I um, have uh, is not uh, applicable just to the legal profession because it's really about human behavior and uh, structuring a company, small, you know, small businesses. And I have a, a good percentage of non-lawyer clients that I coach and uh, help, and I, I love it. It's fascinating to me, and it's so rewarding to, to see clients grow or have an aha moment, like, oh, man, I hadn't thought about that. Hmm. Because when we're in the, in the throes of, of running a business, we're in the weeds and it's hard to see at, at that 30,000 foot level. And that's what I help clients see and figure out different ways that they can, can approach something um, and sound the alarm bell when ooh, ooh, we better, you know, turn left here because this is, this is a, a, a disaster waiting to happen. When you were in the fashion world, I, I'd like to kind of explore some of that because mm-hmm. from a branding standpoint, oh, from a guy standpoint, I can wear jeans and a T-shirt. Most guys would think that. But mm-hmm. in the fashion world, it's more so branding to identify an identity, right? Like I'm associated with this brand when I, and this is how I feel when I wear those clothes. Uh, what was it like during a typical day versus – a, it seems like from the outside, from a service standpoint, from lawyers, accountants, and such, it's a totally different world from the fashion world. And were you able to merge what you learned in the fashion world to the service industry? Oh, absolutely. Because branding uh, a clothing line or a shoe line or accessories or you know anything like that really has the same principles in creating personal brands. How do you want people to feel when you come into the room? Is the same way that branding a clothing line, what do you want people to think of you in, the, in these uh, uh, fashion elements? Uh, if it's you know, a, a kind of a, an out there hip, feeling you want them to think you're hip and 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 in the know or conservative and and pensive and it's the same thing with with a uh, a personal brand and people you know in the in the early days had a hard time thinking that one could or should have a personal brand and i think that the times have really created um, 
that conversation to continue to happen in a way that individuals realize that it is a personal brand. We may have called it your reputation years ago, but really is how people think of you. And the example, uh, one of the examples I give is if you're habitually late, what do people think of you? It speaks volumes that you don't respect my time. You're a hot mess because you can't get it together. Um, You're really not interested. There isn't anything positive that you're projecting when you're habitually late. So the question is, is that what you want to project to people? And it really isn't a hard thing to adjust. Show up on time, manage your schedule. And it's amazing the shift in how people see you and respect you because you do what you say you're going to do. You said you'd be there Tuesday at 2, and you're there Tuesday at 2. Who knew? (laughs) Yes. And and one a big statement that that I really like from Warren Buffett, he always mentioned the institutional imperative, and for the audience, that more so meant that uh, he was looking at different industries that they were all doing the same thing, and so the Goliaths of the '80s and '90s are no longer here because they kind of well, this is what the industry standard is, and (laughs) they followed each other off the cliff, and so that's why I was trying to make the parallel with the fashion world and how you were able to use that with the service industry. Right, right. And we can all be disruptors because the, the world today is, is not etched in stone. And there are many professionals that, that say, well, can I do that? Well, yeah, there isn't any law against you doing a blog about X subject matter. <laughs> and it's that fear of of maybe I don't know enough. Maybe I, you know, people aren't going to respect me if I go in that direction or people are going to talk about me or most people aren't worried about you. They're worried about themselves. <laughs> and so putting your, uh, your fear aside for something that you truly believe in and creating it the way you see it. Yes, we, we do have the, the quote-unquote permission to do that these days because being a disruptor is really kind of a badge of honor. From a go ahead, David. Oh no, I was I was just going to ask her what um, ask you, Paula. So when you're coaching and you're and you're consulting, I mean, besides the obvious reasons, why is it so important to um, you know create and build relationships? Because I know that you you talk about how important that is. Mhm. Well, I think because we're human. And in the beginning of time, it's a, it's a 
about relationships and interacting with people. And we have all this technology today that accelerates it. But the underlying power of it is creating relationships. And I talk a lot about creating relationships that matter. So it's not, you know, having 200,000 followers on Twitter because you can't really have a relationship with 200,000 people, right? But it's how you take that tool to the next level or LinkedIn to the next level and get in conversation and make that relationship something that you can cherish for whatever reason or for whatever you know place it's it's appropriate they're not all going to be your best friends but we have colleagues all over the world if someone had told me when i was in the fashion business that i could sell books in africa and china and south america and hong kong i would have said you are crazy but I can have a relationship with somebody across the world because my books can speak to them and I can get email from them. And what do we do with those relationships? Do we reach out? Do we listen? Do we listen and and know that they're doing a new venture or they have a new job or, um, you know, you haven't heard from them in a while and reach out. And one of the biggest regrets I hear my clients talk about is they wish they had been more uh, astute about getting to know their classmates in in uh, law school because some of them are in big powerful positions now and it's disingenuous to knock on their door and say well you're now general counsel at you know AT&T remember me you know I was sitting in the back row to the left of you and so obviously I tell that that story to to law students a lot because You just need to look to your left and look to your right. And you're all going places, whatever those places are. And to be able to uh, tap into those relationships for information, for work, for, you know, recommendations for a pediatrician, whatever it is, that you have that network of people that um, you've cultivated that's cultivated that matter, relationships that matter. That's a really good point, Paula, because, you know, when I look at school or, you know, any activity, let's stay with the scholastics for a second, that people that hung around after class were the ones that were able to develop the relationships versus Mm -hmm. those that filled their calendar up to every minute and they were always moving. So, you know, you look up, you graduate, but you didn't have any relationships. And right. so it, it's, 
it's I guess a conundrum. I guess it's an age old conundrum, right? Because I got to graduate, I got to graduate, and I got to work, and I got to pay for school. But I need to, I need to also develop relationships. How how do I factor that in? <laughs> because there's there's the intangibles that I can't quantify at the moment. Yeah, and that's why I I talk about work life balance doesn't doesn't work, and that it's more about work-life harmony and that getting our lives in harmony so that the, the, the pieces um, uh, connect like a, jo- a jigsaw puzzle and we realize that after class, five minutes isn't going to make the difference between you paying off your loans and not. But five minutes to sit and chat with a classmate could open doors that you would never imagine 10 years down the road. So that little 10 minutes and getting all the things in their their, uh, proper place. But I think sometimes people get into a um, I'm in overwhelm, so whether that was in college or your first job or you're now 20 years into your job, that I'm in overwhelm and I really don't have time for all this and I'm racing through and you've given off this personal brand that, number one, you can't manage your schedule. Number two, you think you're too important to spend two minutes with me, and I don't think I have anything to share with you anyway. So keep keep racing through your life. <laughs> and that's a personal brand. That's what people think of you when you exhibit those behaviors. Mm. You know, you're... you're how many times have you talked to somebody and you know they weren't listening? They were looking over your shoulder like, who, who else in this cocktail party can I talk to? They weren't really listening. It's dismissive. It's disrespectful. And a big, giant waste of time. Yeah. And, and then what do, you, you know, what do you think of that person? And you never know. You never know who 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 you're going to meet that's going to lead you to something else. There's so many stories of people networking in a place they thought they were never going to meet somebody, um, and lo and behold, this person connected them to that, and it opened a whole new job or a whole new career or, you know, something that was inconceivable. One of our first podcasts was about uh, God winks and just looking at the synchronicity in life. And in many cases, we don't see it in the moment. It's when we kind of yeah. when we look back that we're like, "Oh my goodness, I got stuck in traffic so I could meet so and so." And as you were talking, mm-hmm. as you were talking, it made me think of, and it's you know, it's really dismissive now. And I guess probably we're getting older, so I don't sound like a young whippersnapper saying it, but. <laughs> When people are talking and they constantly look down at their phone, you know, that's oh, a... Oh, 
And <laughs> yes. You're like, okay, I'm just going to let you go. Meeting. I walked out of a meeting once just, and said, you know, when you have time, call me back. But obviously, there's something really important going on for you. And I expected, you know, there was some major case he was working on. He said, no, I'm just checking to see that if I got any email. And I said, thank you very much, but no, thank you. I will be going now. Mm. Like, really? I don't need to waste my time. And I think if more of us would stop to say, when, when you have time, call me. Or when you have time, I'll be standing over here at the bar. <laughs> talking to people who are interested in conversing. But we allow it to happen. And we, we should just say thank you, but no thank you. And if, if it really is, there is a big reason behind it, then you can empathize with them and say, I hope your, your child feels better and I, I hope he's okay or whatever it is. Because sometimes there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's stay, stay, let's stay there for a second because the question, uh, there's two ways to look at it. it. Where were you in that relationship? Like uh, if I paint a scenario, oh, this is the biggest blue chip client I've ever had and, uh, and I'm just happy to be there. It, or it could have been, you know, you're setting the tone of this is how the relationship starts and this is how it's always going to be. Where were you in that relationship where you felt strong enough in your brand that, you felt, oh, you know what, my brand is probably more important and our relationships are probably more important that I would like to establish with you that you were able to walk away. I think it really has to be how, what you feel about yourself and your own self-respect and your business and how solid it is because Let's face it, sometimes, you know, we're, we're trying to get the deal and you'll do whatever you need to do to get the deal. And if it means sitting there while they go through their email, we do it. Um, so I think there's a, there's a, a line we cross with, that we have confidence in our work that we can say, you know what, I don't even want a client like that. I want a client that respects my time and I respect his time and we're there on uh, on time and we get to get to business and we get it done and we don't you know uh, uh, waste one another's time so could I have done that you know 10 15 years before probably not I probably would have sat there and and took it but how valuable is your time and we can do it in a nice way. We don't have to to, to be obnoxious about it. Um, and, and in fact, we probably shouldn't be obnoxious about it. But um, it's, it's, it's so pervasive in our society today. Uh, I have gr- grown uh, uh, children that don't know how to talk to people because they've been looking down at their phones 
And then you can't look them in the eye. Yeah. You know, so I think we have to stop and use the tool. They are tools. They're not a substitute for a relationship. They're not a substitute for interacting with people. And they're tools. Mm-hmm. You know, no, nobody in the 1800s stood there with their pitchfork and had it between the two people. It was a tool <laughs> they used for something else. <laughs> so. Let me ask you, and uh, in, in, I know you're a fan of movies, but you, since you work with attorneys, I didn't know if you watched the TV show, show Suits. Do you watch the TV show Suits? Absolutely. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't get your take, right? Because you're, since you're a brander, I mean, it's so interwoven that, you know, Suits is an attorney show and, you know, they have yeah. cases and such. And then they slide along the Lexus and the Lexus brand. And there's that strong association uh, with that brand. And I, I just wanted to take, uh, get your take on how, different industries can work together to develop not only the relationships, but also help both companies and images grow. Yeah. I think um, partnerships and um, collaborations are really um, how to to take quantum leaps into um, uh, a growth arena that that you may not be able to do alone. It is... um, uh, a way to add fuel to it. Um, there are many, many collaborative relationships that that uh, everybody brings something really terrific to the table. Um, and then, you know, the the you know suits um, uh, instance, you know, it's it's that supportive uh, backing of, of of probably funding and and access to. Uh, storylines or you know whatever you can imagine that that, that probably opens doors uh, but I, I think it's it, it's terrific and and the more collaborative we can be the the better I think um, uh, whatever the project is uh, can be I just um, worked on a collaborative um, uh, possibility with a fellow um, author this morning in fact she is um, she's actually in my my uh, new book, a, a Lawyer's Guide to Creating a Life, Not Just a Living, and she wrote uh, has written five books, all fiction, and I've written five books, all nonfiction. And obviously, we have um, uh, been through many experiences to accomplish that, and we decided that we're going to explore the possibility of. Um, doing a program of, um, you know, uh, writing books and, and, and how you go about it and, and whether you want to write fiction or nonfiction. And we have very different perspectives on how we write and what we write and how we work out our, our outlines and then how we get it uh, edited. And, and then uh, we're both uh, self-published. So uh, there's all kinds of ways to self-publish and so we're going to share that with with people. So who knows how that's going to develop? But mm-hmm. there, in lies a you know a, a, a real reason to collaborate. 
Mm-hmm. And 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 also that that's why I wanted to bring up the suits thing. I don't know how far. I don't want to ruin it if you're not up to date yet. Are you up to date? No. Okay. No, I binge. So, I wait and then I binge. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I won't I won't I won't get into specifics, but I think it mm-hmm. applies to what we're talking about when, when we're looking at collaborations, because I think David and I have seen that um, our podcast is a little over a year. And, and so some people have reached out to us to, you know, get on other podcasts. And I think that you can't survive unless you do have some type of relationships and collaborations. And one thing in suits is that, or, and I think it may be a, just a misnomer. So I think they wanted, they wanted to highlight it was, you know, the higher up the ladder or the higher up the perceived ladder that I go meant I can only talk with those folks. And, you know, Suits was highlighting and, they, and, they, and, and I don't even have to tell you the specifics, but it was Donna. She's a, she's started yeah. out as an admin assistant, but she's so integral to the, yeah. <laughs> the livelihood yeah. of the business. And so you have people that are like, would look down at, uh, you know, and I, you even boy. hear that. Yeah. Exactly. And, and yeah. it, you, you hear that in relationships too. Like you don't know anyone until you go out to dinner with them and see how they treat the wait staff or, yeah. you know, other people. And so mm-hmm. it's just huge. I, I wanted to highlight that point because, you know, we're talking about how can we be our best selves. But as you mentioned, you never know where that person is going to be 10 years from now. And you're, they're mm-hmm. going to remember how you treated them when they were probably mm-hmm. in a lesser position. So I thought right. that was huge. And, and the, the assumption that if you're not at the top of the ladder, you, you have nothing to give, to, to, to give me, to, to offer me, to, to expose me to, or whatever else, which is so wrong. It's so wrong because there's something to be learned from every level of every interaction of every type of, of of person, every type of, of um, uh, situation. Uh, one of the books that I, I'm loving these days, and I hear that it's going to be made into a movie, and my mom and I are rejoicing in it, is uh, Trevor Noah's um, uh, Born a Crime. Oh, cool. Oh, it's going to be a movie? It's going to be a movie, yes. Nice. Uh, yes, and uh, it's, it's a really great, great, story that ends up being a, um, uh, a homage to his mother. Yeah. And he said, I, I, didn't re- I didn't intend to write it that way, but um, a pretty amazing woman. And of course, I had my, ha- uh, gave it to my mom and she said, oh, I used to tell you that and I used to do this. And, <laughs> you know, it's really, it, it has been a great um, uh, source of conversation when I go to, to, to Denver or when I call my mom and what chapter are you in and we talk about what's going on and to share a book by a young comedian and his life in South Africa with my mother who is 85 years old is a true gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you better believe we're going to be in the front row when the movie comes out. <laughs> and maybe try to get to the Academy Awards when he wins Academy Award. <laughs> I guess this is the point where I say shout out to all the moms out there that's listening because, you know, a lot of moms are 
may not get the credit initially, right? They're they're yeah. saying, I said this, I said this, and then we kind of go out in the world and say, well, Deepak Chopra or whomever said something, and they're like, <laughs> I've been telling you that since you were four. <laughs> Yes. yes, and if I've got a tattoo that's on your forearm, I would have. <laughs> but every every mom should read it because it is so reinforcing, um, and you see, you, you see how this woman during her par- apartheid was able to raise such a centered kid. That has to be a miracle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So l- let's see. <laughs> let's see what the movie, how the movie treats the book. It's good. Yeah, I think that's always a challenge because, you know, the book gets our own imagination, so it's always better than actually yeah. seeing it on a film. You right. Know? And so – from a from a consultant standpoint also you hear that from employees sometimes you know employees they're they're the ones that are you know have their their sleeves rolled up and they're in the day-to-day and they may Mm -hmm. say hey you know what we need to exercise this option or what have you but because they may be like a junior or not even an associate yet it's overlooked and then when you may come in and you may say something similar they're like oh my goodness i said that six months ago so how do you how do you deal with that as far as working with teens to make everyone feel important and empowered? I, I really try when I've heard someone say that and th- let's say Kellyanne says, you know, I've been telling them to, to do a blog and I try to repeat. I know that Kellyanne's been telling you this. She's absolutely right. So I try and reinforce it because when I leave the the company or when I leave the group, who's going to carry the torch? Kellyanne will carry the torch about blogging and getting that that um, reinforcing those ideas. It's very hard um, to cut through a a, a corporate culture that is based on a hierarchy that you below me know nothing but in reality it isn't it can be what the surface is like but if they really thought you know nothing why would they be paying you to do what you do so it's kind of this dance that both sides have been um, uh, uh, going through being, you know, sort of uh, uh, undermined or or feeling submissive and not speaking up, um, and and we just have to have the courage of our own convictions to say it again and again, and bring outside information in so that the the, the um, uh, person below has some credibility around it and just keep at it. But in my experience, anytime I can highlight that someone was right and I know that they've been saying it for a while, I I try very hard to make sure that they get the credit for saying it first. Because 
none of this stuff is rocket science. You know, we've all heard it. So it's it's not like it's rocket science that somebody owns that that methodology. It's been around us. So let's make sure that the people who who saw it get credit for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Paula, you know when you're coaching and consulting with people, with firms, and you talked about the culture, you know, being on hierarchy and, you know, we know everything and the people at the bottom don't know anything. So how hard is it to, to you know, how should I say this, See, to get, to convey, to convey to people that, you know, what they're, well, let's see. How do I say this? <laughs> um, working. How hard is it to to get people, you know, to convey to uh, just to work together and put aside ego and all that hierarchy stuff. I think um, the way to convince them is is help them produce results. Because if you get results, it opens doors within a, a, a culture, a, a community culture, you know, like I said, whether it's a team or a company. I have a, a really great um, client that I've been doing work with for probably about six, seven years. And we've gotten people to believe in the process because we've shown them great results or helped them create great results um, along the way. And so now the, uh, the time from concept to results is a lot shorter because everybody's on board. And um, they're, they're wanting to participate. And I'm talking about developing business within a small law firm of I think there are tw- 12 lawyers when nobody wanted to do anything except the two named partners. And now everybody's contributing and not wanting to be left out and having fun and helping one another. And I think it, it, it's a mind shift that happened because they saw, oh, wow, it works. And the next project and the next project and the next project and it and it it's it's um uh built momentum and then you have you you have to begin with people who respect one another and who like one another um i have another firm that two of the guys are just absolute bullies and the only way that that's going to be remedied is the bullet's got to change or they got to go. Yeah. You know, it's just, they, they lose people right and left because the guys are bullies. Mm-hmm. How does it work with, with, uh, I mean, cause you're working with law firms and accountants. So a lot of those that people in that industry are ABBers, they're always be billing. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you have uh, three generations now that are working together. You know, this is how 
salt of the earth types, the generation Xers, and then you have the millennials, and they all have uh, different goals, I guess, or intrinsic goals. And so what's a, a good way that you're getting them to collaborate so that they're all on the same page and ultimately getting those results? I, I think it's, it's about um, figuring out what's in it for them in each of their, uh, in their perspective categories. Um, it's unfortunate that those three, you know, Gen Xers and, and, and millennials and, and baby boomers are kind of categorized as though they were monolithic and they're not. Um, so just because you're in, in a, a particular generation doesn't mean you can't think yeah, I can think like a millennial. I can't be a millennial, but I can appreciate it and think like that around a particular uh, uh, project or a, or a um, or situation. And we find out what people value. And you know, you have more billable hours, or it's easier to bill, or. Um, you get new clients, you get to work on different um, matters that are more interesting, or um, you get, you, you work like crazy for the next four days and you might get Friday off. So whatever is important to you, we, we've got to figure that out and then w- work the project so that people get, um, get what they need to out of the project. I, I was working this past week with uh, a, a partner and, and um, uh, his associate, and we're, we're trying to get them to collaborate on um, uh, a business development initiative where we, we um, create our, our um, uh, prospect list, and then we keep in, in – in, um, touch with them and what are we doing and how are we inviting them and you know just kind of keeping track of all the what I call touches and the millennial is the one that said oh I'm t- I get I get up uh, or get to the office every morning and I spend 30 minutes um, on business development things so no problem I can get this in my my routine of things I was blown away mm-hmm. and he he's He's very structured, and he he is um, uh, uh, planning his day out, and he's going to be able to really uh, feed the partner with the kinds of materials he needs. So together, they're going to cook. They are going to be making presentations and landing new clients, and it takes time, but they're going to be able to do it very well together because He's more disciplined than the managing partner because the managing partner has all these other things, you know, uh, being thrown at him, and he doesn't have that discipline that the associate has. So, leveraging everybody's different um, different skills and and points of view, and and most people would say, "Oh, millennials aren't really like that." Well, yes, they are. <laughs> Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> this one is. <laughs> well, let's let's wave the flag for that one millennial because you know once upon a time there were 
you, you started at a company and you wound up retiring there. So you stayed there 30, 40 years. And as you're saying, or as we've been highlighting, when you're networking and you're building that net worth connected to your network, you're, you're, you're potentially doing a lot of things that you may not think have an impact today, but other people are actually watching you. And so there are opportunities for that person that he may get pinched, right? And, and, the, and the managing partners may not actually even see that happening until it's too late. So how could a company actually retain that client when you know, their competitors may be eyeing that person because they may be that diamond in the rough? Hmm, let me see if I understand your question. You're, that if they see this millennial do such really great things that they're going to try and attract him away from the, the firm he's with. Or are you talking about the client that they finally pursue and land and somebody's always going to be nipping at their heels? Well, it, well actually, yeah, it gets good. Take interpreted many different ways, but I was looking uh-huh. at more so of in-house, where you know we hired this person and they're great, uh, you know, or they're an intern, but other people in the industry see that person, right? They're like, wow, mm-hmm. this person shows up an hour early, stays an hour, mm-hmm. extra hour late. Hey, you know, why don't we go out for drinks? And the next thing you know, they're recruiting them away, and uh-huh. you, especially in in places like Silicon Valley where it's hyper competitive. You know, you have yeah. people that leave Google to go to Facebook or, you know, one of the other competitors. And it's kind of accepted now, but I think that there should be a way where we're talking about leveraging relationships. And for your brand, you don't want to be known as a hopper either. You want to be known as, you know, someone that is, is a team player and is going to stay with their own team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, first of all, management needs to recognize that, they have good people, and good people are always being um, uh, lured away. So you have to have really great um, employee relationships and employee benefits and, and provide them with what they, they want, need, and value. And most importantly, value, because everybody has different, a different way of valuing things. And if flexibility is valuable to the, to that individual whatever they whatever they value try to 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 give it to them but we all always have to keep in the back of our minds that if we're building an organization um good people are going to be poached so why do they work for you do they work for you just to get a paycheck and if all they're doing is putting in their time to get that the fattest check they can. Is that the type of person you want working in this type of, of position? There are some positions that that's what it is. You know, I put in an hour, I get my hourly wage and I go home and really I don't care what you guys do with what I, that little piece that I do. But that doesn't last very long. Mm-hmm. So what are you making me feel about working in this company or firm 
that gives me pride to say, I work for ABC firm and I'm really proud that I'm there. And that's not something you pay somebody to be. You don't pay them to be proud. You've got to give them a reason to be proud and a reason to, to, to say, you know, I really admire my, my partners that, that believe blah, 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 or that, that treat people with respect, uh, you know, whatever it is. And that's how you keep people. And having two bullies that you ignore because they happen to be decent rainmakers, that's, that's not, not going to, to instill pride in working for that firm. Yeah. There's an article that comes around every couple of years that, you know, once the, their basic needs are met, that most people leave not for the extra money. It was more for the recognition and such. So that's why I wanted right. to highlight it. Right. And, right. and giving people opportunities to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't realize that if we gave that project to Sally, it would stretch her a little bit. And maybe we give her some backup with John, and now they've both learned something. They've learned a collaborative environment, and then you know Sally has has stretched her her ability. You know, I, I have somebody who who got put on a on a trial team, and she was so excited, and she. Um, didn't get to do the cross-examination that they thought because of, uh, of how the trial was going, but she still was excited to be there, even though she didn't get to do the one thing that she got thought she was going to be able to do. But she is eager, and they um, sought her perspective on various things and listened, and so that creates pride and being part of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to the relationship standpoint, you uh, we were mentioning that networking and people looking over other people's shoulders as well. In most traditional networking environments, everyone's passing out business cards. And over recent years, there's been the saying that the new business card is your book. So if you could talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how you're getting your clients to reluctantly <laughs> to jump into that world of writing books mm-hmm. and what was it like writing your first book versus today? Um, I am an absolute firm believer that my books are big audacious business cards and have always been. Um, I, uh, <laughs> my first book came about because I was asked to speak at a conference of um, managing partners uh, uh, in the Southeast, uh, over 300 managing partners in the room. And I thought, oh my gosh, how, you know, what am I going to take to establish, you know, my credibility and, and what we do and, you know, all of that. And there was this little voice in the back of my head that said, write a book, write a book. I used to tell all my clients, write a book. It'll give you instant credibility. And the conference was in three months. And I, that, that voice would say, write a book, write a book. I, I can't write a book. It's, I got three months. I got, you know, I can't write a book. And after I listened to my own little gremlin in my head, the third day 
I walked into my staff. I said, we're writing a book. (laughs) (laughs) We're writing a book. Okay. I got to write it, then we'll design it and print it. And we got three months. So I got to write it in a month. We'll design it in a month, and we'll get it printed in a month. And now that I've been in the book world for a long time, I realize that that was quite an undertaking. (laughs) But I was too naive to realize what an undertaking it was. Um, And, of course, we did it. And it allows people to get inside your head in a, in a way that no presentation or article can do. And, you know, I can make 100 presentations, but I can't say everything in that presentation like I can put into a book. And maybe some people will will like the book maybe they won't however you cannot not write it because somebody might not like it we have to write it for the people who who would embrace that that way of thinking many people in the beginning said so what about the 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 lawyers who don't believe in marketing and the lawyers who who think you should just hang a shingle and and business should come I said, well, I'm not talking to those people. So I may have a room of 300 managing partners, and there may be a lot of managing partners in there that think that. However, there were a lot that didn't. And they said, you know, I like what you said in your book about blah, blah, blah. Can we talk? Mm -hmm. And so today it's much easier to to self-publish. It's there, there are ways that, that you do a, a book that is a business development book. It's not war and peace. <laughs> it's, it's simple concepts. People don't have time to read. So you've got to give them the information quick and fast. And when I talk to my, my professionals about uh, writing a book, you don't want to give them the how-to. This is not, you're not a professor. So you give them the ideas of, of what is needed, whether you're an immigration lawyer or you're a um, financial advisor or, or whatever. Um, give them enough information to do some things, but ultimately it's to get you business. So you've got to think about where you draw that line. If you were a professor, yes, it, it needs to be as thick as war and peace, and you need to tell them exactly, you know, what they need to do in every aspect. But not for a business development book that is a quick read and gives people little nuggets, but then piques their curiosity to want more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And And one of the best ways that you – you're actually speaking your truth is on your site. You have a complimentary download that gives them an insight into your world. If you want to talk about that as well, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I believe that the more you give, the more you get back. And um, not only is that on my, my website for, for a chapter, but for your listeners, I would like to offer a complimentary download of my new book, 
a lawyer's guide to creating a life, not just a living. So you can go on my site and click on the, on the uh, Buy Now button, and I will give you a code, a promo code. The promo code is 370-370, and it's with my compliments. You'll hear awesome. m- many um, uh, people talk about how they overcame fear and, and had aha moments, and it, you know, they, they're um, primarily lawyers, However, they're human processes of any career. So it doesn't matter um, uh, what profession you're in. There's lots to be gained by, by their stories and their struggles. And, and um, I think you'll enjoy it. So Fantastic. promo code Thank you. 370. Fantastic. Fantastic, yeah. Any other questions, David? We are at the top of the hour. Um, you, uh, the last question that you had just asked was the one I was going to ask. So I think we covered it. Nice. <laughs> That's a collaboration. That's a great collaboration. <laughs> you, you think alike. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, Paula, it was definitely a pleasure. I, I do want to have give you the time to not only promote your website, but any social media or any other outlets that you'd like to talk about right now, that'd be fantastic. Well, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and um, uh, would be happy to hear from you. Uh, And if there's anything I can do for any of your listeners, please send me an email uh, and I will certainly get back to you. Uh, I I primarily coach individuals. So uh, through, through transition or crisis or I want to grow my practice or I want to start a new business and um, uh, I would love to hear from them. Fantastic. You're uh, you have just Awesome. You have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And Paula Black, if you're not first, you're last. It was a pleasure <laughs> speaking with you. And let's definitely stay in touch. I would love it. Love it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also, check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.